Okay, if you could make your way back in and take your seat. Come on in. Amen. If you have been here uh, any length of time at all, you will realize that uh, as a leadership team, we really and truly spend time thinking and praying about every single time we have to gather together like this corporately. We think about everything from our welcome team and sign-in stuff that we do, our prayer time before the service, we think about it in terms of our worship, our singing together, uh, our announcements, the preaching. Everything that we do, we, we never approach it cavalierly. We never approach it lightly. We, we try never just to like throw something together because we don't know what else to do. Well, recognizing that our series on James was going to end in August, the end of August, and recognizing that we were going to be starting a new series in um, October, which you guys will get to find out about in a couple of weeks. And recognizing that in September, we had a couple of special services, like our Moving Up Sunday, where the kids got graduated to the next class, and we heard testimonies of the way in which God has ministered in people's lives. Or like last Sunday, where we did, uh, what did we do last Sunday? Dedications, baptisms, membership. I mean, it was like, it was a big deal. But knowing that all of that was going on, we realized ahead of time, today is a free Sunday. So you're all dismissed. <clears throat> no, not true. Um, recognizing that today we didn't have anything very specific planned, we took some time and I prayed about what I felt like God might have us to share. And if you know me at all, you know my preference is always to preach series. And if I have the choice, I'm going to preach through a book of the Bible because that's what I like. That's my thing. Uh, but uh, as I prayed about today, I felt like God gave me probably one of the simplest messages that I probably will ever speak to you. But I think, honestly, if you can hear it, it could be one of the most profound messages. How many of you have ever heard something so often or seen something so often it becomes old to you? Have you ever done that? <clears throat> I don't know how many of you guys like hymns. Do you guys like hymns at all? Any of you guys like hymns? Yeah. Uh, there was a hymn that was in uh, a hymnal that we used to have here in this church. And uh, when I came to Christ, the church that I was in used to sing that hymn a lot. Like, Sunday morning and Sunday night. Every Sunday. They still sing it every morning and every night. They, just, they, just, they sing it so much that I got to the point where I was sick of the song. I mean, if you looked at the words, the words were good, but I was sick of the song. Can I just tell you what the song is? The song was Victory in Jesus. How many of you guys know that hymn? How many of you guys love that hymn? Okay. I got to a point where I hated it. I know the words are true. I just got sick of the song. Until I went to a Promise Keepers event. 60,000 pastors 
singing victory in Jesus, get this, in Spanish. I don't know Spanish. But they put the words up there phonetically and we sang victory in Jesus in Spanish. And it was like this song took on new meaning for me. Well, my prayer today is that what I'm going to share with you is very simple. But I pray it will take on new meaning for you. That something in what is said will actually lodge in your mind. Now, a few years ago, one of the perhaps most renowned Christians of the day was a guy by the name of Karl Barth. How many of you guys ever heard of Karl Barth? Have you? Okay, a couple of you have. Uh, he was a Swiss theologian that was probably considered the consummate theologian of the day. Um, this guy was speaking at a Rockefeller Chapel at the University of Chicago on April 23, 1963. And at the end of his session, where he was speaking in front of all of these people, a student was offered an opportunity to ask one question. So he stood up and he said, Professor Barth, could you sum up your theology in one sentence? Now think about it. Karl Barth was a guy who had written over 600 works. One of his works, just one of them, was called Church Dogmatics and it had 806 pages. And he never finished the work. He died before he finished it. So this is a guy who has written prolifically. And this student asks him to sum up everything he's ever written in one sentence. Well, Professor Barth sat there for a minute thinking about it. And then he smiled, this kind of uh, almost impish smile. And he looked up and he began to sing this song. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Now, here is Professor Barth who has written over six hundred books and he sums up all of his theology with that little children's song and what i want to do today is i want to take that song or a part of that song and break it up into four parts and i want to talk about each of them so we're going to start right back at the first part of the song jesus 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 i believe is the center pinning of the entirety of of Christianity. He is, well, let me put it this way, in 19, well, it was in the middle 70s, so probably 76, 77, Andre Crouch, who was a famous Christian musician at the time, Andre Crouch wrote a song called Jesus is the Answer for the World Today. And I want to suggest to you, Jesus is still the answer. If you have no Jesus, you have no Gospel. If you have no Jesus, you have no good news. Jesus is the center, the, the center pole of everything that holds up Christianity. But who is Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Son of Man and He is also the Son of God. He is the friend of sinners and He is the Christ. 
But when we say that Jesus is the friend of sinners, by the way, that comes, for those of you that might want to know, where does that come from? That comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, where Jesus himself said, John came preaching the gospel, the good news of the Messiah who was to come, and you said he had a, diamond, a demon. I come and I preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and you say, I'm a drunkard and I'm a friend of sinners. But what does it mean when we say Jesus is a friend of sinners? Over the years, and maybe you've heard it too, I've heard people talk about Jesus using terms like Jesus is my buddy. He, he, he's my wheel man. Jesus and I are like this. We're, we're, we're Jesus, we're buds. And they talk about it in a way that I think I understand the desire for an intimate connection, a friendship with Jesus. It was Jesus Himself who said, I no longer call you just servants, I now call you friends. Jesus, the friend of sinners. John tells us, Jesus took all that He was as God, emptied Himself, and took upon Himself flesh. Or another paraphrase of John's Gospel would say, Jesus became one of us. He became just like us. In fact, John says it this way. He pitched His tent among us. That's Jesus. The friend of sinners. He became not only a man, the Scripture says He became a servant of mankind. In fact, one of the last things we know about Jesus is just before His death, just before that weekend where He suffered so under the beatings of the Roman government and the Jewish leaders, just before He was scourged and a crown of thorns was placed upon His head, the Scripture says He took a towel and He girded Himself and He knelt down and He washed His disciples' feet. He wasn't just a man. He was a servant of all. One of the things that I think about Jesus when I think about that Word is He gave us His name, Jesus, so that we would have a connection with Him. It's hard to talk to people when you don't know their name. There have been times in my life, and probably it's that way in yours, when I see somebody and I know I know them, and I should know them, I should know their name, and I just can't remember it for the life of me. Karen and I were in a conversation recently with somebody. I, I, honestly, I don't even remember what it is now. But I can remember this. This person came and talked to us. Oh, yes, I do remember right now. Uh, this person came to talk to us at Wyoming Inn. They're standing at our table talking to us, and I'm smiling and nodding. And I'm thinking, okay, I know your face, but I don't have a clue who you are. And then they said one thing that clicked. And all of a sudden, I, oh wait, I don't know your name, but I know where the connection is. And we went through all of this together. Has, has that happened to you? Or is it just old people? Ed, is it just old people? Because Ed told me I was old today. So I just want to be... Um, Jesus gave us His name so that we would have that kind of close connection with Him. But Jesus is not just the friend of sinners. Jesus is also the Christ. Or maybe a better way to say it is, Jesus is the cosmic Christ. He is the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Anointed One for all time, for everywhere. That's who Jesus is. He was fully man, but He also was fully God. Always was, always will be. The Son of God and the Son of Man. The friend of sinners is also 
the Lord of glory. Listen to some of these scriptures. I've just thrown some of them together. I don't know how many are going to be up there, but I just want to read some of the things that the Scripture says about this Jesus. Paul in Romans 1 says, Concerning His Son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So he's talking about fully man. He is declared to be the Son of God with power. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Here's John, who knew Jesus personally, walked with Him for three, three and a half years, laid upon his chest at the Last Supper. Here's John when he sees him again. He says, when I saw him, as he is post-resurrection, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and of hell. And then, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, where he writes to the seven churches. And he refers to their angels or their messengers. Most consider that to be their leadership, their pastors. He says this about himself. I am he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Talking about the church and their leaders. I am the first and the last who was dead and came to life. He who has the sharp two-edged sword, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and His feet like fine brass. He who is holy, who is true. He has the key of David. He opens and no one shuts. And shuts and no one opens. And he finishes this by saying, I am the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, O God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created. Revelation 5.8 Now when He, talking about the cosmic Christ, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before Him, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the, tw four tw the 24 elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. I want you to get the idea that Jesus, who is the Son of Man, you can never forget that He is also the Son of God. He is the Christ. The Anointed One. And although you can have close, intimate relationship with Him, you can never take that lightly. You can never take that in a way that dis diminishes 
who He truly is. It's, when you come to Christ, it's not about morals, it's not about rituals or rites, it's not about doing good, it's not about being better. It's about recognizing you're coming to the Son of God who changes everything in your life. Being a Christian today doesn't mean that you're just being nice. It means you've got Christ, the cosmic Christ living in you. That's the promise that God has made. 392 times. Think about that. 392 times Paul uses the term Christ referring to Jesus. More than any other writer, he wants us to understand that He is the Christ. The Anointed One. He says things like, He is the beginning and the end. He says, to live, to really live, is Christ. It's not I, but Christ who dwells in Me. I have peace with God through Christ. We will reign in life through the One, Christ. We who were afar off have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. There are those who say there are many ways to God. But Jesus said there's only one way, and it's through Him. He is the friend of sinners. But don't ever forget that He's also the cosmic Christ. Acts 4.12 says, there is, salvation, there is never salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us we need to keep our eye on Him. People will fail you. Situations will fail you. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Paul says in Colossians, uh, and I spent part of this week just listening to this, the, the whole book, Colossians, in different translations. Uh, Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image, the very image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, which is who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. So Karl Barth, in summing up all of his theology out of all of these 600 plus works, sums it up by starting with Jesus. The friend of sinners and the cosmic Christ. But then he doesn't end there. He says, Jesus loves me. There's probably not too many people today, even heathens, who don't know what John 3.16 is about. They've seen it at football games, basketball games, baseball games by some guy who holds a big banner out in the back. They know technically that Jesus loves them. They know it academically that Jesus loves them. But the question is, do you know it in your heart? Jesus is the picture of love. His sacrifice upon the cross is the ultimate example of what it means to love. You see, in the world, we believe that you give to get. You love, you give love in order that you can get love. Uh, John, at a recent wedding, said it very, very well. He said, the world has that in a marriage, it's a 50-50 equation. I'll give 50% if you will give 50%. And our two 50%s will make 100%. But that's not how God does it. That's not how God intends it for your marriage or any relationship you're in. 
God intends it to be 100-100. You give 100 whether you get anything back or not. And that's exactly what Jesus did. If you go into Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, there's a portion at the very beginning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-8. to I'm not going to read it to you. But in that section, there is what is called by theologians the, the self-emptying, the great emptying of God, where Jesus took all that was God and set it aside so that He could connect with you. So that He could identify with you. What it feels like to be a human being with all of our frailty, with all of our weakness, He did that out of love for you. Gave up all of His divine privileges just to show you love. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you ask most Christians what the cross is a symbol of, they would say it's a symbol of death, of torture, of horrible persecution. But I think the cross is also intended by God to be a symbol of love. Of Christ's love for us. Because that's what it's about. It wasn't just a love for all mankind, although He did love all mankind. It's a love for you, personally. Jesus understood that in going to the cross, He was giving His life, showing what love is for you personally. So, when you read John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's true. But at some point, you ought to put your name in there. For God so loved. And put your name in. Because that's what it was about. The cross was about His love for you personally. Not just generally. Not just academically. The problem is that there are millions and millions of people who don't know anything about the love of God. There are millions of people who perhaps have even heard about it. Maybe even they have gone to church, but they have never experienced it. Which brings us to the next part of that little song. Jesus loves me, this I know. To know the love of God. Jesus was the one who said, Truth will set you free, right? Is that right? No, he didn't say that. What is it? Right. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, love is not love unless you can know the love that God has for you. Most of you recognize that uh, songs are imperfect. Our view of songs are imperfect. They're just man's expression of it. I think it would be better, instead of saying, Jesus loves me, this I know, I think it would have been better to say, Jesus loves me, this I am knowing. Because it's a journey. As we get to know more and more, experience more and more of the love of God. Paul says in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you might know. The word that he uses there is the Greek word ginosko. Ginosko. To know. He says it in Ephesians 3. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. To know it. Ginosko. To know. Most of you will know, I'm sure, that the New Testament was written primarily in Greek and the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. When we get done with the book of Malachi, there are what are called about 400 years between Malachi 
and the time of Christ. They're called the 400 silent years. During that time period, a lot of people lost the ability to read Hebrew because it was not a prominent culture anymore. And so 70 scholars got together and took the Hebrew Old Testament and translated it into Greek. And everywhere the word no was used in the Old Testament, they translated it gnosko. But the Hebrew word is the word yada. Y-A-D-A. Yada. And it speaks of an intimate knowledge, so intimate that it's the word that's used for the love that a man and a woman have for each other in their marriage bed. That's what it's used for. So it says, Adam knew Eve and she conceived. That's that word, yada. And God is saying to us, Paul is saying to us in Ephesians, God's desire is that we would know the love of God. Not some kind of weird sexual thing at all, but something so intimate, so real, that you know it in your knower. And you can't help it. Philippians 3 says, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. What the song is alluded to here is that it's not enough just to academically process the words, God loves me. It's His intent that you would have what I call episodic encounters where you actually meet with God. You feel His presence. You feel His love. And something changes forever. There's like, um, how, how many of you have ever had like um, a moment with God where it feels like everything changed forever from that point on? I'm not talking about just when you got saved, although that's true. But once you're saved, I mean, you're, you're saved. You, God loves you already. But you have something happen in one moment where you encounter God and the world is never the same. And it will never be the same for you. You have been ruined to everything else. You've tasted something of God. For me, honestly, as a pastor, pastoring for many years, my change point came in 1994 when God showed up in a way that I never wanted or anticipated. I didn't even like it. I resisted it. I argued with it. In fact, at one point, I'm arguing with a friend of mine about what was going on. God's showing up. People are acting kind of strange. I didn't like it. I didn't like people falling on the floor under the power of God. That wasn't neat and orderly. And I'm arguing with him. And he says, Chris, why don't you stop arguing and just jump in? I didn't want to jump in. I didn't want to look weird. I like control. Self-control. But I can still remember. Uh, it was on a Sunday evening at Elam Gospel Church in Lima, the old tab. And I'm standing on the platform with a bunch of other people. There's my brother-in-law, Bob, who has now gone home to be with the Lord, and my sister, Kathy. There's Karen and I. We're on this platform, and this guy's praying for us. And he's going down the line praying for us, and he's using one word the whole time. One word. Do you remember what it was? Filled. 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 And I'm thinking, and I did. I prayed. I prayed, God, he's annoying me to death. Um, he's got no vocabulary. And I'm saying, God, I don't like how this is happening. I don't like all this other stuff that's going on. I don't like this guy. Just being honest. I was talking to God, so I could be honest. Um, 
And I'm saying, God, I don't like any of this. But if this is you, I want it. If this is you, simple as that, if this is you, I want it. The next thing I knew, I opened my eyes uh, as I was lying on the floor. Not intended, didn't even know it. I honestly didn't know it. Um, And I opened my eyes to have my wife and my brother-in-law standing over me laughing at me. And I wept and I wept and I wept. Everybody else was laughing. I was weeping for days and days and days and days. Overwhelmed with the love and the acceptance of God. That's what Karl Barth is talking about. It's not enough to just say, Jesus loves me. If you can say those words so flippantly and not recognize God has come into your heart and your life has changed forever, you don't know the love of God. You know about the love of God. Since Jesus loves me, this I know. I've encountered. I've experienced. That's what he's talking about here. To know the love of God that passes knowledge. Greater than knowledge. Greater than all of your esteemed Bible knowledge. You guys carry around those big Bibles and you've got them and you know your Bible. And you can argue with the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and everybody else. You argue with your relatives. But do you know the love of God? That's what we're talking about. It's a knowledge that is so intimate that everything changes. A phrase came to me this week. I've never thought of it before. And it was this, simply, love was at work long before I knew love was at work. God's love was at work in me long before I knew God's love was at work in me. I mean, I can pinpoint when God came and intervened in my family. But before George Lonneville gave his heart to Christ and told us kids to kneel on the floor and get saved, before long, long before that, the love of God was at work in George Lonneville's life, drawing him to his heart. We talk about, have you asked Jesus into your heart? We say that word. I think we say it all wrong. I think instead of asking Jesus into your heart, I think Jesus is asking us into his heart. That's what it's about. So that when you say yes to Jesus, it's not merely that you get saved so you can go to heaven. It's not merely so you can become a better person, a moral person. That's not what it's about. It's so that you can have the living cosmic Christ inside of you. And that changes your life forever. You're not a Christian otherwise. You might even be someone who's interested in Christ. You might even be a pursuer. But until you've experienced the love of Christ. It remains academia. Jesus loves me. This I know. And then finally, for the Bible tells me so. If you are a Christ follower, you have to come to the place where you say, this, this is my authority in life. Breathed upon by the Holy Spirit of our living God. This is the Word of God. It's not a compilation of stories written by a bunch of authors over a period of time that they finally edited and put together. I mean, I I have some authors that I enjoy reading, some fiction authors that I enjoy reading too. And every once in a while, you'll see a book out there that has like, you know, 10 of my favorite authors and they put short stories together and they compile them. That is not what this is about. This is not a compilation of stories. This is the very Word of God. That's what this is. There are people who will say things like, I believe, I believe that this book right here 
contains the Word of God. Do you know the problem with that wording? Is if it contains the Word of God, it means as you look through this, as you flip through this, you can decide for yourself which ones aren't the Word of God and which ones are the Word of God. That's what Thomas Jefferson did. Thomas Jefferson, no joke, it's on display. Go to the Smithsonian. Thomas Jefferson took the Bible and he took a pen and he began to cut out the things he didn't like. Everything having to do with the supernatural. Miracles. Everything, get this, everything having to do with the cosmic Christ. That he was the Son of God. He took a knife and he cut it all out. said, I don't like that. Until he ended up with a book that was called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And that was his Bible. And without thinking about it, many Christians do the same. They pick and choose what they like out of this book. And they say, well, I don't know about miracles for today or back in the day. I don't know about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I think about those. We pick and we choose. But the truth is, this book is His story. But it's more than His story because the Scripture tells us He breathed upon it. This book came to pass because He breathed upon it. Did He use imperfect human beings with some weird personality traits? Yes. In the same way that He uses you. But we believe that God, who is the cosmic Christ, is so powerful so strong, so able, that He can even work through the personalities of fallen mankind and make sure they put down only what He once said. And that's what the Word of God is. It doesn't just contain it. It is the Word of the living God. It's this authoritative, inspired Word of God that teaches us about all that He did to demonstrate His love to us. Jesus loves me This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We have no other way. How are they going to know? Unless they first have heard it themselves. They have to hear before they can tell others. An author, I wish I could recall his name, I don't recall it, said this. Uh, I'll read this a couple times just because I think it's just an amazing statement. There are times when the soul literally aches for the presence of God, and refuses to be satisfied with anything less than that for which it calls. The deepest human need is not for food or drink or shelter, as important as those are. The deepest human need is to experience the touch of the presence of God. Let me read that again to you. There are times when the soul aches for the presence of God, and refuses to be satisfied with anything less than that for which it calls. The deepest human need is not for food or drink or shelter, as important as those are. The deepest human need is to experience the touch of the presence of God. Deep theology. Jesus. Friend of sinners. But cosmic Christ. Jesus loves me. Love demonstrated. Love personally demonstrated for me personally. Jesus loves me. This I know. This I'm coming to know more and more every single day as I walk in union with Christ. For Christ dwells in us, in these frail vessels, but He still dwells in us. Jesus loves me. This I know. 
for the Bible. God's Word. Breathed, inspired, and protected by Him. God's authoritative Word tells me so. Do you believe it? So though it's simple, in some ways it's very profound. Because if you get too much further off of the love of God, you've gone too far. Because until you know the love of God, you won't know security in your identity. You will be doing what Kayla talked about earlier. You'll be performing to get love instead of performing out of love. You'll be resting from your work instead of working from rest. Your whole life will be one of striving, trying to prove something, trying to disprove something that your parents spoke over you instead of walking in your security in Jesus. Would you stand with me? I know it's a simple little song, way, way simple for you cool people. But let's simply sing this simple children's song together. But I'm going to ask you if you would close your eyes. If you don't know the song, you can just listen to the words. But for those of you that know it, allow God to soak into the soul of your being and say, that's what I want. Maybe I'm not there right now. And that's okay. But that's what I deeply crave. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Father, I'm asking in Your holy name that as simple as this word was, it would resonate in a heart today to say, that's what I need. I've heard of you with the hearing of my ears. But I want to experience your love. I want to receive it even today. That I could walk in like this cocoon of the love of God every moment of every day. To know the love of God that surpasses all academic knowledge, all the wisdom of this world, all the striving of our souls, the love of God, as Andre Crouch said, is the answer for all of us today. Let that be something that grips our hearts and that today we would Walk in a way as to experience it. Come and touch hearts in the deep place where they ache for you. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.